You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. The restaurant industry is struggling to survive as a result of the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. In this segment, chef and restaurateur Wolfgang Puck joined the Washington Post to discuss economic and safety policies aimed at reviving and sustaining the restaurant industry. Let's listen. Good afternoon. I'm Mary Beth Albright, on-air food anchor with the Washington Post. My first guest today is one of the most accomplished restaurateurs in the world. I'm honored to introduce Chef Wolfgang Puck. Chef, welcome to Washington Post Live. Yeah, good day. I, I, I'm so excited actually to talk to you in Washington. You know, I hope we'll open soon in Washington too. But um, <laughs> next week we are opening Cut in New York, which is already a step forward. We got 40 seats outside on a sidewalk. And I think people are really excited to be able to go out. Everybody is tired of being bunkered up at home and get takeout food or cook at home and eat the same food. I have talked to many people that said just looking at the menu, being something served will be such a progress. Well, it sounds like you've got the wheels turning. You're on President Trump's Great American Economic Revival Council as part of the Food and Beverage Group, and that includes everything from fast food to fine dining. Um, and you spoke by, by phone with President Trump when the council was announced uh, yeah. back in April. Um, what have you been up to in the past three months as a council? Well, you know, and on the council, we talked to some of the people in Congress, Congressman Thompson from Northern California, Congressman Fitzpatrick from uh, uh, Pennsylvania. They are on a bipartisan uh, uh, committee, and they are trying to introduce a bill that the insurance companies have to pay for business interruption insurance. That's really the first step, and I think an important part, because we all pay insurance premiums for many, many years. Here it comes, the government shuts us down. It's not really the virus who shuts us down, but the technical is the government tells us what to do. But nobody wants to take responsibility for it now. And they all wash their hands and said, well, it doesn't say in your contract the virus is a, a subject. I said, the virus didn't come to me and says shut down working. It's you guys who did it. So that's one of the things I'm working on. And then the next big thing is how are we going to start the economy in the restaurant business again? The restaurant business is the biggest employer in the country, next to the government. We employ 15 and a half million people all over the country, and many, many restaurants won't be able to open up. So what I told the president is, we have to get a stimulus package going. The stimulus package, what I thought would be the best, to really have uh, business people who come to our restaurant and have dinner, business dinner, business lunches, that they can deduct 100% uh, of the expenses. That way, they will have an incentive to go out and send their customers, take out their customers and so forth. And then, you know, you always have somebody said, why do the rich people get a break? Well, it's a funny thing because the rich people also employ a lot of people who don't have, make a good living. In the restaurant business, we have busboys, dishwashers, parking attendants, uh, kitchen helpers, you name them. They are a little bit above minimum wage. So if they don't have a job, they're going to be on unemployment. So we want the restaurant industry to really get something from the government, some help. And the stimulus package would be good if we get it. 
I go to the farmer's market. I go to the fish market. I was this morning at the fish market. Uh, and, you know, I talked to the guy who owns the store and said, you know, it's really hard. I have 10 drivers, but I only can use four right now. And I have so many people doing uh, the filleting and this and that, but they are out of a job. So if the restaurants can open, if the businesses get their uh, deduction, I think it will help us a lot. Well, I want to dive into all those issues you just talked about because they're all incredibly important. I know that you've talked about them for the restaurant industry. Let me just ask first, has the president been receptive? He was very receptive, especially to the business uh, uh, stimulus. And he also said he's going to look into the insurance, but then he cannot make an executive order to do that. It has to go through Congress. And that's really where everything gets holed up. You know, these days you have one side and the other side. There's such a big divide in between the Democrats and Republicans that it's really hard to get anything moving. And I'm very disappointed, you know, of the leadership on both sides of the House and the president. How can we not move any faster? How can we not get at least some light at the end of the tunnel where they're going to say, OK, guys, I know you're suffering. I know you have so many people who are out of work. Let's try our best to really help you and move forward. You know, handing out money is one thing, like they do now. The federal government gives everybody $600 a week. That does not entice people to come back to work. That does not entice uh, businesses to send, uh, uh, go out to dinner or to lunch on a business date. So what really makes it happen is if the federal government will step in and says, here we have it, we have a stimulus plan, we have the insurance companies who are going to bail you out. And if the insurance company needs money, we'll bail them out. And that's the way it should be done. Well, it's an interesting distinction because you're a restaurateur who has many restaurants around the world. Um, and everybody, of, of course, is concerned with the safety of guests, the safety of employees who want to go back on the job but don't want to catch COVID-19 while they're working uh, for a paycheck. So have you noticed a difference in the way that America is dealing with it that you just talked about versus the United Arab Emirates where you have a restaurant, or, for example, or Singapore? Yeah, well, I think everywhere it's a little bit different. Naturally, our main concern is our employees, that they are safe and our guests that they are safe because if that doesn't happen, it will be a big problem, you know, then we're going to just get shut down. So all of our waiters here, for example, in LA or in Las Vegas, they wear a mask and they wear a shield. Then in the kitchen, everybody has a mask also. And I think that's really an important part that we really have to tell the whole country has to wear a mask and that's it. You know, when you are out of your own home, Put on a mask. It's not the end of the world. And I think for me, if we want to reduce the COVID-19, that we have to take care of ourselves. You know, the government, the police, whatever they can do, whatever they try to do. But everybody has to be responsible. You know, you can say, oh, I don't going to get it. But you might have it and then give it to your grandmother or give it to somebody else, you know, who is very susceptible and who has maybe a bad immune system or whatever. So I think that's really a hard part. And I think I really have to commend the governor of New York where the, where the pandemic was the worst. And now they're out on top. And you have states like Texas, Florida, Arizona, even California, who are lagging behind. And it's really sad to see that. And 
I think for other restaurants where we are, for example, in London, we just opened cut in uh, in Singapore, we opened cut and also Spargo. We are at the Marina Bay Sands there, but only for Singaporean. They don't allow anybody in there. So if I want to go and cook over there, I cannot go to Singapore right now. But I'm very excited already now that we are opening cut in New York next week. We ordered all the planters outside, umbrellas outside. Now I have just to talk to the weather god up there that it doesn't rain too much at night. So then we will be okay. And I think people are very excited. They started to call already and says, I want to be the first one there. I want to be uh, at cut uh, whenever you open. So some of your restaurants received um, the, the Federal Paycheck Protection Program. You've been vocal about that. You were also vocal about returning some of that money. And I believe um, you can you can confirm this if, if it's correct, that you've said that you were going to close some restaurants permanently in your group. So can you talk about your uh, process with that? And also, I know you're a mentor to a lot of chefs who own independent restaurants. How have you advised them about this? Well, all our restaurants are really differently uh, made up their financial structures. Some of them I have investors. Some of them we are in partnership with hotel groups like the Dorchester Group, and uh, they are very helpful and they paid people to they're on their payroll, they, all of our employees. In some of our restaurants, we got the PPP, thank God, and then we have uh, our uh, worldwide where we do licensing and all the restaurants in the airport there, I returned the money. We didn't get, uh, you know, no millions. We got, I think, 600,000 or something like that. But I said, you know what? I want to be a good citizen. We are okay financially there. I'm going to return the money. So it's interesting. You were talking before about the issues, the dual issues that um, you're really being vocal about, which is number one, the federal stimulus, and number two, um, insurance companies paying um, paying out claims for businesses shutting yeah. down. And I, I appreciate that you made the legal distinction between whether the government shuts the restaurant down or the pandemic shuts the, the restaurant down, because yeah. it seems like that it, it's really riding on that. But I know that you that there are there's legislation on the federal, state, local level. Independent chefs have started an advisory group. What would that look like? I mean, if you had your way, what would the federal, stimu federal stimulus look like? What would the insurance company payouts look like? Well, I think hopefully, you know, when you have a flooding somewhere or you have earthquake insurance, you get paid by the insurance. The same thing is with that. The insurance should pay it off. And I know they might need the money from the government and they will, uh, uh, the government will subsidize them, just like the government does with airlines and so forth. So I think that has to be done because there are probably over 200,000 small restaurants who will never be able to open if they don't get money from the insurance. You know, the landlords are very tough. They said, you don't pay. Well, you know what? I give you three months and then if I don't get anything, uh, you have to go somewhere else. People have to feed their families. People have to feed their kids, send them back to school. Now, how does that going to work out for parents who work in a restaurant as a waiter, as a cook, whatever it is, their kids go to school and they have to go to work at four in the afternoon and not be home before midnight. So that's going to be really complicated. Or on the other hand, not have a job at all. So I think it's really important. And I think the stimulus program, if uh, businesses can deduct their entertainment expenses in restaurant, that will employ many more people. And that's what we want. We don't want handouts. We don't want 
people staying out of work. We want people back at work. So now we have a question from a viewer, David Lake from Georgia. And David asks, how can restaurants survive in the long term with ongoing limited in-dining occupancy and other restrictions? You know, it is really difficult because a lot of restaurants out there don't have space outside. The way it's built, the way they are, is only inside. I must say, here in Beverly Hills at Spargo, the city of Beverly Hills was very helpful. They said, Wolfgang, whatever you want, we try to accommodate. So now we have 18 tables on the sidewalk outside. Uh, it's more than 50% of our indoor dining room now is outside because indoor is closed down for sure. They actually said, if you want, we can take one lane, one car lane away because we are in a cul-de-sac, so it's not as important to have all the lanes. We have four lanes, really. So they're going to take one lane away, and we're going to build a platform out there to be able to put more tables out there. But I know it is really difficult for people who have a small restaurant. But even like in Georgia, you hear that Georgia was okay for a while, and then they open up, and it becomes a problem. So because we did not have a federal response to it, where the president would have gotten together all the governors and said, you know what, we are all on the same boat. We are in the United States of America. Let's fix that as fast and as difficult it might be at the beginning, but let's fix it so we can get over it. So now every state is tinkering around in a different way, and that slowed it, the whole progress down, I believe, tremendously. Well, to your but point, it's going oh, to be difficult for small restaurants who have no outdoor seating, what they're going to do, how are we going to open? And on one hand, we want the pandemic to go away. And on one hand, we want the business to start also. So that's really an important way. How are we going to start everything uh, if you don't have the space outside? And I think the cities should be responsible also and check if a restaurant can get some outside table. Maybe uh, go to the next store, who is maybe an electric store, who is closed at night anyway. Let them put tables there so that way they can make maybe a living, at least break even and have people working. So we well, did that, I think, at Chinois, for example. We're opening Chinois next week, two outside. We only have the inside two. So I said, what are I going to do? Rip off the roof or ask the city? So now the city of Santa Monica built these roadblocks on the street, took one lane away, and the restaurants on the street got part of the road where we set a row of tables. So it's not as big as the restaurant inside, but at least it's going to give me an option where I can have some people coming back to work. And the customers are so happy to go out again. I mean, when they call up now already and say, oh, thank God we can go out. I'm tired of takeout from Chinois. I'm tired of heating up food at home. I want to be served. I want to have the real deal. Well, we have another audience question from Lisa Deutsche in Sweden. Do you think the pandemic can help people's relationship with cooking and food? How can restaurants help? You know, it is really true. There are so many people, especially in America, home cooking is not a big thing. Do, because of the pandemic, I did some online cooking classes and so forth, and people okay. really are happy to cook at home. But after a while, it gets tiring. They clean up, they're shopping and everything. It's a lot of work. And I think, though, in America now, because of the pandemic, there are more people cooking at home than ever. 
Uh, I think also, but we have to think how we're going to reopen now the restaurants, you know, and people thought for three months, four months, you know, it's okay, but people are very antsy to stay home. And thank God, where we live, you know, people have houses. So it's different than if you are in an, in a big building uh, with apartments on every, on top, on underneath your left and right and so forth, and you have kids to get them out, it's difficult. So I did, actually, you can see on my Instagram, I cook with my son Oliver and we make up dishes easily to do at home too. Why, why do I do it? To keep him occupied, to keep him thinking. I have him write down recipes and now kids are calling him up and says, mm, <laughs> your grilled chicken with grits and uh, uh, the spicy uh, cheese looked so good. And uh, I served it with grilled peaches and a spicy marmalade and uh, my wife loved it, the kids liked it and now Oliver's friends call him and says, Oliver, send me the recipe. So it's a good thing to bring the family together. And I always said, you know, families who cook together stay together. And that's really an important part, I think, to enjoy a meal together. And that was a good part, I think, you know, if you think in the food industry, that people had to stay home and do all the things. But I think people, kids, everybody is a little bit tired of doing the same thing. Well, to that point, a lot of restaurants have pivoted and have started selling groceries or meal kits through the restaurant um, just to, to because the food supply is set up to go through the restaurants right now. And so um, have you have you done that at any of your restaurants? Sure. We still we do a little takeout in uh, New York at Cut uh, for the building and for a few surrounding buildings. We do take out at Chino on Main where we give them the Chino experience. People can pick up a uh, six course meal. We did take out at Spargo here in Beverly Hills, but now the restaurant is open. So I stopped doing takeout because it's an interruption when people come in picking up food. We want to serve the guests and give the guests an experience when they come to our restaurant. So that's really the most important part for me right now. But takeout at least got us out of the house. We went to the restaurant. I could go to the market, buy some stuff, and then we gave people a great deal, but it's not a replacement for the restaurant experience. Yeah, and but some restaurants have done actual ingredients, right? Like selling yeah. the steak so that people can take them at home because of that's the way the food supply system works right now. And so have you thought about doing that? Have you done it? We did a little bit, but mostly we uh, gave people uh, cooked meal or things they just had to finish cooking like if we made macaroni and cheese they were ready they just have to pop them in the oven for 10 minutes at 350 and serve them so that was easy i did some cooking classes where we shipped all the ingredients for example for a mushroom risotto for a salad they had the ingredients and then they cooked it alongside with me we even put a few cocktails in there some uh, 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 Negroni, my favorite cocktail and so forth, so that way they can enjoy, cook at home, cook next to me and I went slow enough and then we also send them like a braised short rib which they just had to reheat. So they got a whole package of uh, a bottle of wine, some cocktails, the rice, only to make risotto, there are 10 or 12 ingredients, you know, from the Parmesan cheese to the rice, to the wine, to the mushroom, peas, whatever we had, it's a lot of stuff, but everything was weighted out and everybody was excited because they all said, oh my God, it came out so good. I didn't know I could make risotto at home. 
Well, that sounds delicious. Um, also, we were we've been talking a lot about takeout, and of course, a lot of people have been going to Uber Eats or apps like that, Grubhub, to um, to have food delivered. Do you think those kinds of apps are good or bad for the restaurant industry? There have been a lot of discussion about that. I'm saying the good thing is, uh, you know, it's to get food to the people who need it. I think all these uh, DoorDash and all these people are great, especially for, uh, uh, you know, fast food restaurants. But for really upscale restaurants, I don't think it's a good thing. Because if you order, and these people from DoorDash or Grubhub, they go to five, six restaurants, pick up the food. So maybe three hours later, you get your food delivered. And I don't think that's uh, a good experience there for us, you know. And we had mostly takeout. We have people lined up, obviously, in Los Angeles. Everybody has a car. So it was easy. I remember uh, when we did Wednesday night, we did fried chicken. That was our uh, best night of the whole week. Uh, it was our slowest night, and then we did fried chicken with all the grits and mashed potatoes and salad and peas and gravy and so forth. So people were in line with the cars for 10 minutes, and we had eight tables set up on the sidewalk for people to pick up so that way there was no interaction. They were out with the walkie-talkie. We did 400 customers a night, which was amazing, but 95% got picked up. Very few people used DoorDash or anything like that. But in the before that, when you put the menu on DoorDash, you know they take if they take 25% from the top line, they are the one making the money and not the restaurant because you only can get that high after a while. People are gonna say this is too expensive. You know, I'm gonna order it once, but not uh, on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. So I think uh, for us to get a good delivery way, that's really important. And I think they put in legislation where they cannot charge like they used to before, and that it becomes more reasonable. Well, it's interesting. Tom Colicchio was on Washington Post Live last month, and he's said that he believes that half of the restaurants in the, in the country, in America, will not reopen. Um, do you think then that, that, that apps um, and delivery can, can help prevent that from happening, or, and do you agree with him? Well, you know, a lot of restaurants are going to be closed. I don't think it will be half of them, but a lot of them, maybe 25%, because these are all the small mom and pop operations. You know, the big companies, and we read about Shake Shack getting a fat check. We read about uh, uh, Woodbridge Steakhouse getting a fat check, and so many other big businesses where, it not, where it's not necessary. I at least said, you know what, I don't feel guilty taking money for Chinois, which is a restaurant which is open for 37 years. And now it's doing okay, but not so great anymore. You know, that I would say we are washing cash. And so we took it up, but the rest, I send the money back. I think I don't want to feel like, you know, I'm abusing the system. And a lot of people have used the system that way. And I know the government tried their best, but you know, how to control it is really hard, everything. You know, to give the money to the banks, I think they should have given the money to the insurance companies and get the money who really needs it. You know, they would have been, that would have been a better way in my thought. So, but, uh, I think what is done is done. Hopefully, we get some more pay payroll protection plan money for the people who work, you know, for the people who come to work, not for the people to stay at home. Because that way, if they come to work, they have the spending money and hopefully people go back to a normal way. And especially at the pandemic now, 
who wants to go out for lunch? Like I talked to Danielle in New York and he says, you know, nobody's going to come for lunch now. It was difficult before. And he said, too, that before they put uh, uh, down the deduction, you know, when Jimmy Carter was president, he talked about these three martini lunches and there's always somebody in Congress that said, ah, let's cut this on taxes. Let's cut there. We're going to make more money, spend more money on uh, the military. It's OK, but not to spend more money on business innovation, on business stimul stimulus is totally crazy because we want America to be at work. We want these people in the restaurants to survive, go back to work, and then hopefully we restart the economy and sooner or later we get back to normal. I must tell you, we have a catering company. You know, Eric, the catering chef, called me up this morning and says, I just got a party for 20 people in somebody's home. He was so excited. I thought it was the Academy Awards he's talking about. So just to get the smallest business, you know, it's something, a positive sign. Well, I, I want to talk a little bit about this. There are experts in several fields that say that racism in America is also a pandemic. And how? my question for you is, how does racism in America intersect with the American restaurant industry? Um, and is that issue, is the issue of race and racism being considered by the president's council right now? You know, I definitely think each one has to do their own thing. My son, Byron, who is with me, who went to Cornell, he laid out a plan for our restaurant company, what we should do, how we should attract more African-American people into the fine dining scene. You know, it's very difficult uh, to get them to come to our restaurant because they think, oh, there are too many white people in the restaurant working, too many Latino people. Maybe they don't want us there. No, it's the opposite. If I can get more African-American come to a restaurant and show them that there's a cook or a waiter, you can make a great living and you can feed your family, you know, as long as they do a great job. Like I have uh, uh, one uh, African-American busboy. He is, uh, his name is Conrad. And he, you can see, he's probably one of our best guys. I said, you should be a waiter. He said, well, I'm nervous to be a waiter. I said, you don't have to be nervous. If you mess up on table, just tell them you're sorry. It's not the end of the day, but he's a bright kid. And, you know, I have it in my family. My wife is from Ethiopia and my kids are African-American. So even I tell them, don't forget, you're a little bit Austrian too. But even my son, who is 15 years old, said, you know, if I walk the street and they walk around with a hoodie on and we live in a nice neighborhood, and he said, you know, a lady walked out me, she saw me, she walked across the street. So this is such a deeply ingrained problem in America that uh, I think we have to work on it. And it was really sad what happened, uh, or good even what happened in the last few weeks here and in every city. But looking at the police, not that we should get rid of the police, but they have to be responsible. They have to be hold responsive. If they do a thing which is totally outrageous, which shouldn't be happening, I think like this guy in Minneapolis or this guy hitting and shooting somebody from the back, I think it's really, really, really terrible. And I don't know how in our country we can actually accept a thing like that and how they don't train the police, how they don't train law enforcement better to say, okay, let them run away. It's okay, it's not the end of the world. You know, we have his car, we have his driver license. What are you gonna do? 
Chef Wolfgang Puck, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.